Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello, you're listening to Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a product of Lee Enterprises. I'm Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager here at Lee and the host of the show. With Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, we are presenting notable true crime stories as reported by journalists for the dozens of various Lee Enterprises-owned publications around America. For this set of episodes, we're going to be traveling to Wilbur, Nebraska, where in November of 2017, 24-year-old Sydney Loof left work to go on a second date with a person she met on a dating app, and she never came home. The events that followed, centering on eventually convicted suspects Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell, were bizarre in the way they unfolded both on social media and in the courtroom. What you're about to hear is the fourth episode in what was originally planned as a four-part series, but we decided to split this last episode into two parts to make it five parts total. Regardless of any of that, if you are new here, go on and jump back to the first episode of this series to make sure that you're up to speed. The articles that you'll hear, which have been lightly edited to avoid redundancies, will be read by Matt McGrath, and we will have links to those in the show notes as well as contact info. As always, if you appreciate what we're doing with this program, or any other true crime podcast for that matter, we encourage you to invest in local journalism and support whichever newspaper it is that serves your community. Our episode begins after this short break. From June 18th, 2019, Sidney Loof's death, sexual fantasy gone wrong, or planned murder, by Lori Pilger. As rain poured down outside Tuesday, jurors got their first glimpse of the murder trial that will unwind in front of them over the next three weeks. Nebraska Assistant Attorney General Sandra Allen told the group of six women and six men they were selected to hear Aubrey Trail's first-degree murder case, but this was more than that. This was a planned seduction to kill somebody, she said. The somebody is Sidney Loof. Allen said Trail and Bailey Boswell, his co-defendant, are the ones who planned it. Defense attorney Joe Murray said Loof died accidentally, unintentionally, after being part of a sexual fantasy. This is not, I suggest to you, an open and shut case, he said, urging the jurors to keep an open mind. But first, Allen walked them through Loof's disappearance after a Tinder date on November 15, 2017, with Boswell, who had gone by the name Audrey on the dating app. Loof sent a friend Aubrey's picture, which later would help Lincoln police connect Boswell to Loof. The two met for the first time November 14, 2017, a Tuesday, after chatting on the app over the weekend. They smoked pot, and Boswell drove them around, and they made plans to get together again the next night. What may have sounded harmless was the start of a plan, Allen suggested, describing how Trail and Boswell, who lived together in Wilbur, had checked into a Lincoln hotel near Loof's place of work, then went on a 12-minute shopping trip at a nearby Home Depot, picking up a hacksaw, tin snips, drop cloths, and utility knives. Earlier in the day, Boswell had bought trash bags, 
laundry soap and bleach at the Dollar General in Wilbur, then went back for duct tape and roasting pans before leaving for Lincoln. Allen said the jury will see a video of Trail on November 15, 2017, walking into the Menards on North 27th Street, where Loof worked, their paths nearly crossed. She described how Trail turned and looked back at Loof, then looked in his pocket, then back at Loof a second time. Then, according to phone records, he called Boswell. Later that night, after Boswell leaves Trail to pick up Loof for a second date, all three of their cell phones would go dark. Loof's never came back on. Police ultimately used cell phone records that showed Boswell's and Trail's phones moving, then stopping and moving again the day Loof didn't show up at work, and people started worrying about the 24-year-old who didn't make a habit of missing her shifts and not responding to texts. That led searchers to rural Clay County on a cold, windy December day, where they walked ditches and fields and came upon a gruesome discovery, a trash bag in a ditch with part of an arm sticking out. Loof's family walked out of the courtroom as Allen went on about other bags, more body parts. How searchers knew it was Sydney was because of the tattoo on her upper arm. Everything will be wonderful someday. Allen said tool marks on the remains were consistent with a hacksaw. Investigators found marks on her back and the top of her head and restraint marks on the outside of both of her wrists. She said they didn't find most of Loof's internal organs. Her heart, tongue, kidneys, and spleen were all gone. Allen said Trail told investigators the meeting was part of a sexual fantasy that involved Loof and two other women besides Boswell. But we have evidence to suggest that is a fabrication, Allen said. In a decoded jail note from Trail to Boswell, she said he fed her a story she could tell investigators about how Trail wanted to make a snuff film to sell. I told you all the time that no one would seriously get hurt, and you believed me. Now you know it was all lies, and you now believe that I planned to kill someone all along, and I used you to help me, he wrote. You will have to fill in the blanks, baby, but this story is good. Murray told jurors that Trail and Loof had a much closer relationship than has been depicted so far. Trail says Loof had been offered money to participate in a sexual fantasy, knowing it involved erotic asphyxiation. Sydney's death was not intentional. It was not planned, he said. Murray said Trail is not a particularly nice man, but with respect to the charges of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, he has told the truth, and he has told it multiple times. Trail said he and Boswell panicked after Luke died, and the next horrible, poor, bad decision was made. Murray said Trail cut her body to fit into a trunk, so they wouldn't be seen taking her out of the apartment. The issue, Murray told the jury, is how did she die? If convicted, Trail would face a possible death sentence. From June 20th, 2019. Sydney Loof's mother and friends testify about their growing worry after Tinder date. By Lori Pilger. Susie Loof didn't think much of it when she didn't hear back from her daughter, Sydney, right away. She had seen her Snapchat where Sydney said she was going on a Tinder date and shot off a text that night, November 15th, 2017, at 8.40 p.m. How come you didn't tell me you had a date, she said. But it never made it to Sydney Loof's phone. Investigators say her cell phone was turned off near Wilbur shortly before that and never came back on again. At trial for Aubrey Trail, one of the two people accused of killing her that night, jurors heard Thursday about how Sydney's family, 
friends and police searched for her, tracking her cell phone to where it suddenly stopped pinging a cell tower. The first witnesses, police officers, investigators, friends, and family, started setting the stage for a search that would end in two arrests and the grisly discovery of Luth's remains in a field in Clay County on December 4, 2017. Leah Shaw, a manager at the Menards in North Lincoln where Loof worked, said Loof had left work early on that Wednesday at 6.01 p.m. despite being scheduled until 9. The next day, the 24-year-old Lincoln woman didn't show up at work and didn't answer texts from her mom, her younger sister Mackenzie, or her friends. It wasn't like her. Susie Loof said she remembered getting hors d'oeuvres ready to take to an event in Neely on November 16th when Mackenzie came to her about texts she started getting from Cindy's friends concerned about her. Worried, Susie Loof called the Lincoln police. I wanted to get to Lincoln right away to try to find her, she said. But she said she knew there really wasn't anything they could do, so they waited until Friday morning to drive to Cindy's apartment in the Havelock neighborhood. She said her daughter had struggled with depression and had come home to Neely the previous weekend. She rode back to Lincoln with Cindy on November 13th and Monday to see a doctor and change her medication. She said they probably went to lunch after that and she headed home. Was that the last time you were in her physical presence? Nebraska Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan asked. Yes, Susie Loof answered, shaking her head slightly and looking down while twisting a tissue between her fingers. They had exchanged texts Tuesday and Wednesday of that week. It seemed Sydney was doing better. She had told her mom she thought the new meds were helping. But on Friday, November 17th, when Susie and George Loof and Sydney's younger sister got to Sydney's apartment, where her Jeep was parked and her purse was on the kitchen counter, they found her cat Mimsy with no food or water. Susie Loof said that's when they knew something was wrong. Sydney loved that cat and would never leave it alone. Later Thursday morning, Brittany Flynn told the jury how she and Sydney had known each other since they were little and playing on the softball team in Neely. We were really good friends, she said, her voice breaking. Flynn said she had gotten a text from Sydney on November 14th, apologizing for not getting back to her sooner. She had been on a date. She said she'd met up with someone from Tinder and they drove around a little bit. She sounded happy, Flynn said. Little did she know then, but the photo Sydney had sent her that night of the woman she met, labeled Audrey, 25, would track back to one of her suspected killers, Trail's fiance, Bailey Boswell. Another Loof friend, Brooklyn McChrystal, set up a Tinder profile and started looking for the woman Sydney had told others she was going on a date with. McChrystal scoured photos until finding Aubrey, 25. When they matched, she asked for a number so they could text. She immediately shared the information she'd gotten with Sydney's family and Lincoln police. From June 21st, 2019, landlords say the smell of bleach from Trail's downstairs apartment consumed the house by Lori Pilger. As soon as Jennifer Cole pulled into the garage at her home near Wilbur Clatonia School on the southwest edge of town November 16th, 2017, she could smell it. The odor of bleach was everywhere, she said. It consumed the whole upstairs of the house, Cole said. When she went down the stairs near the basement apartment she and her husband Alan rented to Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell, it was even worse, she said. She's allergic and it was making her sick. Two days later, a Saline County Sheriff's deputy would come knocking on the door, asking about the tenants in 621B. 
On Friday, the second day of testimony in Trail's murder trial for the killing of 24-year-old Sidney Loof of Lincoln, Alan Cole testified that, before this came to a head, Trail had seemed to be a good renter. He wasn't late with the rent and even paid ahead through January of 2018. He said he didn't have much contact with the couple, who said they were engaged. A few times, Alan Cole offered them extra vegetables from the garden. Trail gave him a couple of porcelain dolls as gifts for his grandkids. That was before November 15th, 2017, the night Boswell picked up Loof, whom she'd matched with on Tinder, at about 7 p.m. to go on a date. No one saw Loof again. Her cell phone led police to Wilbur, about 40 miles southwest of Lincoln. Trail or Boswell didn't come around again after that. But, testifying back-to-back Friday, the Coles said they hadn't heard anything unusual coming from the apartment that night. Nor did Jennifer's son Dayton. He was home from college in Kansas and shared walls with Trail and Boswell in the basement. I don't recall any distinct noises, he said. He didn't recall specifically, but thought he'd probably hadn't come home until 10 p.m. or so on November 15th. The next day, Alan Cole said his wife texted him about the smell of bleach in their house. She left the garage open to air it out, but it was still noticeable when he got home from work that night. It wouldn't be long, just a couple of days, before deputies came knocking, asking about Trail and Boswell. Alan Cole said not long after the deputies visited, he noticed a problem in the basement apartment. The air conditioner kept freezing up. Someone in the apartment had left it on, set it at 60 degrees, despite the chilly November weather. When investigators came around and showed them photos of Loof, Jennifer Cole said she thought she had seen her with Boswell twice before, once around lunchtime on November 15th, 2017, and the other time in the summer. You're confident it was Sidney Loof, defense attorney Joe Murray asked her. I am, she said. But Jennifer Cole admitted it was possible it wasn't Loof she saw with Boswell. Nebraska Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan said investigators had video of Loof at work at Menards in Lincoln at the time. In a search of the apartment on November 19th, 2017, Nebraska State Patrol investigator Pedram Neba snapped photos of what officials found while looking for clues to help them find Loof. In the abandoned apartment, they found a handwritten note on how to encrypt the phone, a receipt from Dollar General at 5 p.m. on November 15th for several roasting pans and duct tape, and another receipt from a food mesto at 11.30 a.m. the next day buying bleach and trash bags. Three Clorox bottles still sat on the dryer when investigators got there. One was completely empty, another nearly. An oscillating fan had been left on in the living room. In the bedroom, investigators took a gray filtered sheet off the bed to test for DNA. They found the matching flat sheet a couple of weeks later when they found Loof's remains in rural Clay County. From June 24th, 2019. Aubrey Trail taken by ambulance after courtroom outburst. Jury asked to come back Tuesday. By Lori Pilger. As one witness left the courtroom and another sat to take the stand, Aubrey Trail interrupted his trial late Monday morning, shouting out, Bailey is innocent and I curse you all, before slashing at his neck three or four times. The cuts drew blood, but Sullivan County Sheriff's deputies in the courtroom swarmed him quickly, Trail falling on the floor from his wheelchair as they worked to get the object out of his hands and to cover his wound. 
Saline County District Judge Vicki Johnson had the jurors ushered out of the room, then cleared the courtroom of everyone but the attorneys and deputies. Just a few minutes later, at 11.25 a.m., a stretcher was brought in and sirens could be heard outside the courthouse as a rescue squad arrived. It's unclear what Trail used to cut himself or how badly he's injured, but he is believed to have survived the apparent suicide attempt. By 2.15 p.m., the jury was back in the courtroom. Johnson asked them to disregard Trail's outburst and the fact he was not there. In the future, she said, he will appear in handcuffs for obvious reasons. The judge said she and an attorney on either side would talk to jurors privately in her chambers before they were released Monday. No more evidence was to be presented, and the jury was ordered to return at 9 a.m. Tuesday. A defendant does not have to be present at trial, and typically defendants' actions can't cause a mistrial. But the fact that they were meeting to speak with jurors individually suggests that it still may be a possibility. According to federal and state case law, some courtroom situations can be so beyond the pale, so prejudicial, that a mistrial is necessary. In a 2009 decision, the Nebraska Supreme Court said a mistrial is appropriate when an event occurs during the course of a trial which is of such a nature that its damaging effects cannot be removed by proper admonition or instruction to the jury and thus prevents a fair trial. Whether that happened here remains to be seen. From June 25, 2019, law officers detail the search for Loof's body as trial continues without trail. By Lori Pilger. A day after Aubrey Trail shocked courtgoers by slashing at his neck in an apparent suicide attempt after proclaiming Bailey Boswell's innocence, his murder trial went forward without him. Saline County District Judge Vicki Johnson pointed out his absence before morning testimony began, telling the jury Trail had chosen not to be there. After speaking to jurors individually before excusing them for the day early Monday afternoon, Johnson apparently determined what happened didn't merit a mistrial. There was no mention of it in the open courtroom before the trial resumed Tuesday. At the morning break, Trail's attorney, Joe Murray, said the issue was raised, but the law in Nebraska is that a defendant's actions cannot cause a mistrial. Asked if he was worried about what jurors might be thinking, given what they witnessed, Murray said what Trail had said Monday wasn't an admission of guilt. Trail shouted, Bailey's innocent and I curse you all, before slashing at his neck repeatedly with a small blade of some kind. Murray said, it is what it is. It's the hand we were dealt and we're going to play it. He said Trail needed stitches for the wound to his neck, but that he was treated and released from the hospital. Prosecutors spent Tuesday morning establishing the hunt for Trail and Boswell in late November 2017, in the days after Sidney Loof went on a Tinder date November 15th with Boswell and was never seen again. The trail led police from Lincoln to Wilbur, then to Boswell and Trail, who lived together on the edge of town. Clerks at hotels in Spencer and Ames, Iowa, called a tip line after spotting social media posts about the investigation into the 24-year-old Lincoln woman's disappearance and learning that law enforcement was seeking Trail and Boswell as persons of interest. Trail had used his real name, but he and Boswell managed to keep one step ahead of law enforcement, leaving a hotel in Ames in a hurry with the TV on and leaving behind Trail's cane, a couple of bags, and two maps one of Iowa and another of the Texas-Mexico border. But it was two videos the couple posted to Facebook on November 29, 2017, that ultimately led to their arrests early the next morning. 
in the first played for the jury Tuesday morning. Trail claimed they didn't know anything about Luth's going missing. He said that as far as he knew, he wasn't wanted for anything, but investigators were chasing them around like dogs. This has pretty much cost me my life, Trail said. It was the first time jurors would hear Trail's voice in the courtroom, aside from his outburst. FBI Special Agent Mike Masseth explained how agents started with thousands of IP addresses and phone numbers and whittled it down to one. A track phone with no subscriber information, essentially a burner phone. Masseth said, aside from posting the video online, it had made only one call at 11.27 a.m. that day to the Windmill Inn in Branson, Missouri, a place where Trail and Boswell had stayed that August. They called the local sheriff to see if the silver Chrysler Sebring they'd been driving was outside. It was. By daybreak, Trail and Boswell would be in custody. Tuesday afternoon, the prosecution's case turned back to the search for Luth. Lincoln Police Investigator Bob Hurley explained how he'd used his own method to map the data he'd gotten from Boswell's and Trail's three phones to discover they had left their Wilbur apartment November 16, 2017, at 2.24 p.m. and returned at 5.45 p.m. Hurley plotted out a 151-mile round trip west to a rural area near Clay Center, all based on data recorded when cell phones communicate with cell phone towers. He said he'd gone out December 3, 2017, to check his work. But something was off. He headed back to Lincoln, did some more calculations, and came up with a new theory. Hurley told searchers to go to Road S North to Road 308 and start checking there. He'd found places where the data suggested they'd slowed down and even stopped. Ultimately, he determined they traveled 21 miles on gravel roads, stopping along the route. On December 4, 2017, Corey Townsend of the Nebraska State Patrol was one of a caravan of 10 law enforcement officers checking cattails and anywhere else someone could try to hide a body. He said he remembered the Clay County Sheriff saying, Hey, I think we've got something. It was the first bag they'd find of Luth's remains, which were found in ditches at various spots. Assistant Attorney General Mike Guinan held up a photo for the jury of what searchers saw. FBI Special Agent Eli McBride got there later in the afternoon of the search. He said when he went down to the embankment on the west side of Road S between Road 308 and 309, the first thing he saw was the black bag and a body part sticking out of it with skin and exposed bone. He said he looked around in the immediate area and saw a severed foot about a yard away and a severed part of an arm or two in the other direction. It had a tattoo exactly like the one he knew Luth had, McBride said. From June 26, 2019. Jurors see grisly photos of Luth's body, Aubrey Trail still absent, by Lori Pilgrim. Jurors stoically leafed through a stack of 11 photos of pieces of Sidney Luth's dismembered body found in trash bags discarded along gravel roads in rural Clay County on November 16, 2017, at the trial of the man accused of her murder. Over defense objections to the exhibits going before the jury at all, Judge Vicki Johnson allowed the state to show them as evidence of the crime. On Wednesday, prosecutors showed on big screens dozens of photos taken from 17 crime scenes in the fields and ditches near Clay Center. The photos were of clothes, tarps, and more than a dozen knotted black plastic trash bags of body parts. The more gruesome photos of what was found inside were passed from one juror to the next, each taking a minute or less to look through the 11 photos. 
One juror bounced her chair slightly during her turn. Sydney's father, George, sat in the front row, often looking down or away from jurors in the quiet courtroom. In all, their onerous task would take 14 minutes for the 12 jurors and three alternates. Courtroom goers wouldn't see the photos, other than perhaps a glance as a juror flipped the pages. FBI Special Agent Eli McBride said Luke's body was cut into 14 pieces. We found 13, he said. McBride said they didn't recover the upper left arm from just above her elbow to just below her shoulder. He said the search had turned up hundreds of pieces of evidence, including a discarded sauna suit, latex and kitchen gloves, a sex toy, duct tape, and a white fleece Columbia jacket like the one Luf was wearing in her Snapchat story November 15, 2017, in which she said she was going on a date. After investigators found Luf's remains spread out over several miles, they returned to the apartment in Wilbur that Trail shared with Boswell, looking for anything that could help them determine if Luf had died there, how she was killed, and what tools had been used to cut up her body. Sitting at the end of the sofa was a book, The Human Body Atlas, a National Geographic human anatomy book with a cover graphic of a head and neck showing the muscles beneath the skin. After the lunch break, Stacy Furman, an FBI latent print examiner, testified she found just six prints on or in the pages of the book that she matched to a young woman who had been known to hang out with Trail and Boswell. She is expected to testify next week, but the presence of the book could bolster the state's theory of premeditation. From June 27, 2019, Trail Boswell tossed Loof's possessions out of car window investigators say, by Lori Pilger. Investigators searching for answers to how, why, and where Sidney Loof, a young Lincoln woman, had been killed, turned up more than a dozen sex toys, a leash and collar, and black fuzzy handcuffs in Aubrey Trail and Bailey Boswell's bedroom. DNA testing didn't link any of them to Loof, according to an agreement by both sides that Assistant Nebraska Attorney General Sandra Allen read to the jury Thursday at Trail's first-degree murder trial nor did testing on more of them found in a duffel bag at an Iowa hotel the couple abandoned as law enforcement closed in. But it gave jurors a glimpse into the lives Trail and Boswell led and the direction the investigation into Luke's killing had begun to turn after her dismembered remains were found December 4, 2017, about 60 miles west of Wilbur in ditches along gravel roads near Clay Center. So, too, did testimony that followed Thursday from Sergeant Richard Zimmerman and Captain Russ Kalkworf at the Saline County Sheriff's Office, which helped give jurors a picture of how Trail had tossed Luth's belongings out of the passenger window of his Ford 500 car as they headed west out of town on November 16, 2017, with Luth's remains in plastic bags in the back. On December 7, 2017, investigators found pieces of her cut-up driver's license and broken pieces of her cell phone after searching ditches along Nebraska 41. The first piece of her license was tiny, but had most of her last name, all in caps, O-O-F-E, and parts of her address and zip code. When they pieced it back together, Loof was smiling. Zimmerman said to find it, they had focused their attention near the Czech Cemetery west of Wilbur, where Trail told a Lincoln police investigator he'd thrown her phone out the window. They found part of her gray cell phone case near there, and the phone farther down the road. They went out to search ditches near Wilbur again three months later after learning the couple had taken a slightly different route to Clay County than first thought. On March 22, 
2018, about 10 feet off Nebraska 15, Kalkworf found a white top with straps off the shoulder. It was the one Loof had worn in her Snapchat story about going on a date. Three miles down the road, he found a multicolored bra with a slit in one of the cups. Prosecutors on Thursday retraced Trail and Boswell's steps in the two days leading up to Loof's body parts being dumped. Bob Hurley, a Lincoln police investigator, said cell phone records show Trail and Boswell had checked into a Best Western in Lincoln just after 4 p.m., November 14, 2017, not far from the Menards where Loof worked. Video from the hotel shows a silver car pulling up, and soon after Boswell, her hair pulled up, digging through her purse as she walks in the front door with Trail right behind her. Around 5.30 p.m., Boswell left to pick up Loof at her Havelock apartment for their first meeting after connecting on Tinder. Boswell messaged her from the car, saying, Here. Before Boswell would pick Loof up for a date the next night, she and Trail would go shopping, buying meat grinders and weed cutters at the antique mall, a 24-tooth hacksaw, a Gerber folding knife, tin snips, and plastic drop cloths at the Home Depot near where Loof worked, and hefty bags and Clorox bleach at the Dollar General back in Wilbur. Prosecutors say it pokes holes in Trail's story that Loof died accidentally at his hands, and in a moment of panic, he decided to dismember her and get rid of her body. Trail again was absent from the courtroom Thursday. Earlier in the week, he attempted suicide, and the jury has been told Trail has chosen not to be in the courtroom. From June 28, 2019, jury sees interrogation video where Aubrey Trail talks of Darkseid and draining Loof's body of blood by Lori Pilger. For months, Aubrey Trail had denied he had anything to do with Cindy Loof's disappearance, let alone that he'd killed her and cut her body up, putting the pieces in black hefty bags and leaving them scattered in ditches and fields 60 miles west of here. Until February 4th, 2018, a Super Bowl Sunday, when he admitted to investigators he did. On Friday, the jury at Trail's first-degree murder trial watched a video of another interrogation on June 11, 2018, the day two FBI special agents handed him court documents that showed he'd been charged with Loof's murder. Reluctant at first, Trail, who'd sat down with his back to the door, said, Yeah, I'll talk to you. In the three and a half hours that followed, he would tell agents Mike Masseth and Eli McBride his version of the story, how he drained her body of blood and why he cut her into pieces and disposed of her the way he did. Trail told the agents he doesn't believe in the God they do. He sipped coffee as McBride asked what he did with Loop's heart. To the best of my knowledge, nobody cut her heart out. Nobody, Trail said in the exchange. He said the cemetery in Clay County is a sacred place, and that her remains were left there, as they were, so she would be incarnated quicker. He drew on a piece of paper where her head was, her arms, her torso, and the rest. Trail said when he and Billy Boswell, Trail's fiance, were out there the day after he died, with Sydney in the trunk of his car in trash bags, a cop followed them for eight miles. Trail told the FBI agents that he'd offered Loof $5,000 cash to participate in someone else's sexual fantasy, and she accidentally died at his hands. It was not supposed to go as far as it did, but it did, he said. I do not distinguish between murder and anything else. She died, and I did it. But Masseth asked why, if it was someone else's fantasy, were Trail's hands around Loof's neck when she died. And what about the shopping trip he'd been on earlier the same day? Why were you buying a hacksaw, he asked Trail, about November 15, 2017. Were you planning on cutting something up the next day? Trail brushed it off. 
He said the saw was probably something he needed at the house. That, along with Clorox and duct tape, plastic drop cloths, and hefty bags, all bought before Luf came over. All common household items, Trail said. Can you explain that? I'm having trouble, Aubrey, understanding. You're buying all this stuff to dispose of a body before Miss Luf is dead. It looks more than weird. Weird is understated, Masseth said. Trail said only that he didn't know she was going to die in his bedroom. That's not how we work. That's not how I work, he said. Trail said there were two other women in the room when it happened and a video, but he wouldn't show it to the agents. He said everybody has something they want to explore, sexual fantasies, and he made money letting people play theirs out. Trail said his job was to keep their monsters in the cage. Masseth said maybe Boswell had heard his talk about the dark side and bought in. Trail denied it. He said he brought her in, but didn't want to let her go all the way in. He said his lifestyle was about bringing things to the brink and coming back. It was dangerous, and I knew it, he said. From July 1st, 2019, woman testifies, Aubrey Trail invited her to be one of his witches and asked her to kill someone, by Lori Pilger. Media was not allowed to take pictures or to record audio of the woman who testified on Monday in Aubrey Trail's trial. Her name and testimony are public record, and the judge did not previously explicitly prohibit reporting her name. A young Lincoln woman testified Monday about how, in July of 2017, she met Bailey Boswell on Tinder, then Aubrey Trail, and things quickly turned from sex to talk of killing and even picking out a potential target. A.H., 22 years of age, just two years younger than Sydney Loof was when she was killed, dismembered and dumped in ditches along rural roads in Clay County, told the jury at Trail's murder trial for Loof's death how Trail took her to Wilbur and showed her pictures of girls on his cell phone, all naked. As A.H. and Trail waited for Boswell to get there, they watched TV and Trail told her about a different lifestyle he could provide. She said he told her he could pay for her rent and car payments and put her through nursing school. The $200 he gave her before she left would turn into a weekly allowance. But first, just a couple of days later, Boswell picked A.H. up. They got their fingernails done, ate and bought lingerie, all with cash from Trail. Later in the basement apartment in Wilbur, Trail said he wanted to see them in lingerie. Sex followed. A.H. said not long after that, Trail told her about 12 other women he called girls or his witches and asked if she wanted to be the 13th. He said I could leave whenever I wanted until I took my first soul, she said. When State Assistant Attorney General Sandra Allen asked what Trail meant by that, A.H. answered, matter-of-factly, to kill someone. A.H. said Trail was convincing. It all sounded so real. He made money by selling stolen antiques. Trail bought A.H. things and wanted her to call him Daddy. He said he was a vampire and could fly and read minds. He told her some of his witches could leave their bodies. At that point, A.H. said she still believed what he was saying. It all made sense, she said. She described orgies where Trail would get a massage from her, Boswell, and a third woman. Then, if they wanted to, they'd all have sex. Sometimes it involved choking, she said. A.H. said Trail told her he had killed multiple people, but it wasn't his turn to do it anymore. He didn't get anything from it, and he would pay the women to do it, something like ten grand for ten people, she said. In order to become a witch, she said Trail had told her she had to kill someone and take their last breath. At first, she agreed. One day in August, they went to the Walmart in Beatrice to meet a potential victim. A.H. and Boswell shopped for groceries at first, 
But then a blonde woman with glasses, who Boswell had met on Tinder, showed up in the produce area. At first, A.H. said Trail and Boswell told her they were looking for someone who could be one of us. But Trail later asked A.H. if she would want the woman to be her first. First what? The prosecutor said. Kill, A.H. answered. She said once or twice a week, Trail would talk about torturing and killing people, which he said would give them power. It was just like regular conversation for him, she said. But one day, A.H. said she looked at herself in a mirror in a dressing room and started shaking. She said she didn't recognize the person in the mirror, went outside and told Boswell she was done. She wanted out. And she got out. Trail and Boswell threatened if she told anyone, they'd kill her family, she said. It wasn't long after that, Trail and Boswell would be on the run from investigators who were looking into Loof's disappearance after she matched with Boswell on Tinder, and the two went on a date November 15, 2017. Law enforcement caught up with Trail and Boswell at a hotel in Branson, Missouri, on November 30, 2017. Trail would later give 11 or 12 interviews with law enforcement by FBI Special Agent Mike Mathis's account, but it came with a caution. He said, 50% of what I tell you is bull, Mathis testified earlier Monday. In the end, the jury would be asked to sort the truth from fiction. Mathis said Boswell had a list of women in her clutch purse when she was arrested. After each name was a corresponding magical power they were said to have. One could see danger, one could heal. After another, it simply said fire. It was a first reference to the occult in the investigation, but not the last. Massath said Trail brought up a group of treacherous women he was involved with, but didn't want to talk about it on camera. The special agent said at one point Trail asked him and Lincoln Police Investigator Matt Franken to go discuss it with him in the bathroom. One at a time, he whispered the same thing in their ear. He said witches kill, a life for a life, and they gain more power when they kill, the special agent said. Trail often spoke in cryptic terms, Mathis said, and also spent a lot of time talking about sexual activity in the apartment in Wilbur. Trail referred to it as freaky sex. In an interview December 4th, 2017, Trail talked about the dark side of human nature, how everyone cranes their necks to see gruesome things, such as car wrecks. Mathis said Trail spoke of the deepest, darkest thing a person would do and what price they would pay for it. That day, the investigators began finding Loof's remains in rural Clay County. It was the first time Trail said that Loof had agreed to participate in a sexual fantasy for $5,000. Trail said Loof wasn't supposed to die. Off camera the next day, Mathis said, Trail told Franken where they would find Loof's head near a grove of trees. Later, on a piece of paper, Trail drew a map that he said showed how he placed the pieces of Loof's body. At the top was a smiley face with lines around it. He said that's where he placed Loof's head, but it didn't match up with where it was found. Massath said Trail also claimed they had missed two little bags in rural Clay County, one with her blood, the other with her soul. Trail wouldn't say what he meant, he said. On cross-examination, attorney Joe Murray focused on all the facts Trail had admitted to, which Mathis acknowledged. Trail had taken responsibility for dismembering Luth's body, to taking her remains to Clay County, and to leaving the pieces in ditches there. He also admitted to using bleach at the apartment to clean up. Trail says Luth's death was an accident. The state alleges it was murder. It's seeking the death penalty. Trail hasn't been in the courtroom since June 24th, when he said Boswell was innocent and slashed at his throat with a sharp object. 
thank you to Matt McGrath for reading the articles that you just heard. And you can find links to all those articles in the show notes, as well as ways to contact us and any other relevant links. Like I said at the beginning, we have one more episode about Sydney Loof, but we are already looking ahead at our next season, which will take us to North Carolina. So make sure that you're subscribed in order to get the finale next week, as well as all the stories that we've got coming up. Late Edition Crime Beat Chronicles, a product of Lee Enterprises, is produced, recorded, edited, and hosted by myself, Chris Lay, with articles read and recorded by Matt McGrath. As always, if you appreciate what we're doing with this program, or any of the other true crime podcasts that you listen to for that matter, we encourage you to invest in local journalism and support whichever newspaper serves your community. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.